Last week, uh, we have a regular week coming, except that we do have two interviews this week instead of one. So we'll have an interview tomorrow. Uh, that is going to be about de-googling phones and actually developing true privacy and security in your mobile device. And uh, then we'll have a typical uh, interview for Wednesday. And we'll be back to the regularly scheduled programming this week. Uh, I'm a little bit late today, though, and that's because I did a guest appearance on a podcast called Citizen Podcast that is part of the Drinking Brothers Podcast Network. That actually, I think, is going to go out. The host told me on Monday. I'll let you know about that. Anyway, before we uh, dig into today's topic, which is going to be the the Wall of Kant is the uh, the title of today's show. This this came uh, from last week or the week the week before. Uh, John Willis, uh, Nicole Sauce, and I did our monthly coffee chat together, and somehow the subject of, you know, getting past Kant, I can't do this, I can't do that, and the term, the wall of Kant, came up. And I'll tell you, this is all about getting past Kant's, but what I can't do is I can't get that out of my head since I said it. And I immediately locked in on that, and so we're going to do an episode on that, and this is the first day. We're actually at the time to put it together and do it. So it was as quick as I possibly could get to it. There's probably nothing in life that holds people more back than their own belief that they can't do the things that they claim they want to do. And it is a belief problem. It's not a real problem. It's in our heads and we can get past it. And I'll be talking to you about first why it happens so you can understand what's holding you back and then how to identify it and move past it. That's what we'll be talking about today. Before I do, though, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. We also have some announcements today. Uh, sponsor today, number one today, is ButcherBox.com. I love ButcherBox. I get a giant box of meat shipped to my front gate every single month, and you can too. I just last week got my latest ButcherBox hat. It was full of New York strips. That was the what I decided I wanted, and I ended up cooking almost all of them uh, for some folks that were here for the uh, 15-year anniversary party that were here uh, on uh, Friday evening, I believe it was. So uh, we had a blast with that, and I love sharing that food with them. If you want some of the best uh, pastured poultry, pastured pork, grass-fed beef, wild-caught seafood shipped right to your door, uh, get on over to Butcher Box. And remember, if you're an MSB member, uh, they do a discount for MSB. And it's not a one-time discount. It's $10 off your box every month, month after month, in perpetuity, as long as you stay a member. There is no one else that can get you that deal done with Butcher Box other than us right here at the Survival Podcast on the MSB. Next up today, I got from John Bush a brand-new free video report on CBDCs and specifically related to the CBDC threat Again, this this video is completely free. It's only available for a limited time, though. Uh, fill out a form, get a link, and watch the video. It's about an hour and 30 minutes. It's very well done. I've only had the time to watch about half of it. It's something you definitely want to get while you can. Uh, again, John Bush does great work, especially on this topic. 
uh, because, well, I'll put it this way. I was on this uh, podcast I mentioned, the Citizen Podcast, and um, we were talking about a lot of stuff like this today. And I ended up using one of John's quotes from this uh, video. He was talking about how Henry Kissinger was talking about methods to control people. And he said, if you can control the food, you can control the people. If you can control energy, you can control a continent. And if you control money, you control the world. This is one of the most important topics of our time. And the writing is on the wall and the way that it is moving. And you need to know what you can do uh, to defend yourself from it. And there are steps you can take. So definitely check out that video. I also mentioned we had uh, some uh, announcements today. And I mentioned this last week. But I just didn't have the time last week to formally give a good announcement for and get all the information out about this. Uh, Anton's Land of Biltong has joined the MSB. This dude makes real Biltong. I mean, the real stuff. They also make what they call sticks, S-T-I-X, which is basically a form of Biltong that's more, it's closer to jerky than what people think of as Biltong. Sticks are uh, fairly narrow, about the diameter of a pencil. They're cut long ways with the, the grain of the meat, a little bit harder. Man, the flavor on them is absolutely insane. The biltong itself is made from larger cuts. They then put it through a meat slicer so it's nice and thin, and it's just delicious. They also have duars, which are the South African um, dry sausage. This is kind of like biltong and biltong and dry sausage made a baby. And I've got a full write-up on the site about it. It's 12.5% off all purchases there. Uh, you can find that in the uh, benefits section of your MSB if you're a member. And if you ain't a member, well, I mean, you, if, if, if I don't know if all the other things that we have available for you didn't get you on board yet. Uh, how about 12.5% off some really awesome Biltong? That, if Biltong don't get your attention, I don't know if you need to check your pulse or you're a vegan or something like that. Anyway, let's get into this. Oh, let's talk to you guys about this wall of Kant idea and how people talk themselves out of success. I'm not going to go Zig Ziglar on you or nothing like that or rah, rah, who have Tony Robbins or what have you. But I do want, I do want you guys that if you're not living the life you want to be living right now, then I'm going to tell you that this is part of life. Because you can really accomplish just about anything, you know, within reason. If you're like, my goal is to live on the surface of the sun. Okay, now you're just trying to break it. But most things that people think, well, I can be really successful, but not that successful. That's just another limitation. And we're going to actually talk today some about why your goals should be bigger than you think you need them to be or bigger than you think you can accomplish. We'll talk about some reasoning behind that. But it's very simple, really, in understanding that if you give a person a hurdle to jump over and they can't do it, but they really could do it, it's not really exceeding their capability. You give them a little bit higher of a hurdle, one that actually is higher than they have the physical ability to jump over, but just barely, they tip it over a few times, you lower the hurdle back to the original size, they go right over it. Because so much of this is mental. And we, we can get past this if we'll give ourselves permission to. But the first thing we have to do is understand where it all comes from. Where does this all begin? 
And it's actually hardwired into your brain. And it starts off with the power of belief, right? And belief is incredibly powerful, but it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword in that not only can belief allow you to do things that you didn't think you could do, if you can form the belief that it's possible, it can empower you. But belief can actually limit you as well. If you believe that you cannot do a thing, you, you won't be able to do it. And as we start with that, I want to talk about why I always like to use the imagery of a wall when we get into this discussion about beliefs and personal limitations we put on ourselves that aren't really there. And it's because as I'm a, what you call a lucid dreamer. Lucid dreaming is where you're, you're asleep. You're knocked out. Boom. Neighbor looking at dude's asleep. And you're dreaming like anybody else dreams. The difference is you become aware in the dream that it's a dream. Your mind begins to awaken the conscious portion of your mind. It's normally completely shut off during your dream. And you've, everybody has probably experienced this at one time or another. Be like, oh, I'm dreaming. Well, you can actually do some exercises and some intentions where you can you can be far more likely to have that experience than if you don't do anything at all. And it's kind of fun because you can you can fly or you can you can do anything you want with it because it's kind of like the mind's holodeck. The problem always ends up that as soon as you become aware of it, you start to wake up further because that conscious mind. So you can only get so much done before you're like, dang it, I woke up and it's gone and playing around with it. One of the things I've always noticed is in my dream, if there's a wall and I just flew, so I should be able to fly through the ceiling or fly through the wall. When you try to do it a lot of times in a dream, you know, you can't either nothing happens or it feels like you're pressing on a mattress or something, you know, you'd wonder why I'm completely aware of the fact that this is a dream. Well, the fact that you're still seeing a wall means you've created a wall for yourself. It's your wall. You put it there. And I feel very much like this is where can'ts come from. There's a lot of discomfort in moving past where you are right now and making sacrifices. And admit, there's also a lot of discomfort into admitting I'm in kind of a shitty situation because I put myself here. Or you maybe you didn't do anything wrong, but you didn't do anything right either. I was recently having a conversation with my daughter-in-law and my son. Uh, I had a car wreck and feels she feels like, well, I want the car that I had back, which isn't going to happen due to interest rates changing and how much they got from insurance. And she said, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, not directly, but the fact that you guys don't manage your money as well as you could is partly something wrong. Right. So sometimes inaction, a failure to do a thing. And all of this requires an introspection that's uncomfortable. And so we build these walls in our lives to avoid that discomfort. And, and our beliefs do shape reality. I've seen people who have so much less than others, but they're very, very happy people because they believe that their life is good. And I've seen people that have way more than I do, and they're completely miserable just because they believe their life is bad. And if you actually said to them, tell me why your life's so bad, they don't know. They have money, they have a house, they can pay their bills. and You all know people like this. So think about how powerful belief is that it can take a person that we would define as a have not and they could belief can cause that person to be happy. I could backfire. 
Maybe they could have a hell of a lot more if they also believe they could get there. But the belief alone was enough to change the emotion and the way they look at life. And then you have a person that seems to have everything going for them, and they're miserable. And maybe they're not miserable because they're on drugs or something like that. I, I don't mean that they're, they're just like a physical problem, whatever, but they have a lot of money. We've, we've all seen that, too. I just mean that they they have just decided for one reason or another that they're miserable. That's how strong belief is. So if you also believe that you can't do a thing, that power works against you. And if you believe you can do a thing, then that power works for you. Because if I believe I can do something, it doesn't just propel me to do it. It propels me to ask that most important question that I always try to ask and you know, tell you guys to ask yourself is how. There was a guy on uh, on Noster this last week, and he was talking about how he loves guitars, and he had this guitar he wanted. And he's a pretty good musician, apparently. That's why he wants a guitar. And he said, well, should I buy the guitar or should I, should I stack sats? So unless that, unless that thing's on an auction or something, don't buy it for a week. And every morning, every middle of the afternoon, and every night before you go to bed, ask yourself a question, how can I make this guitar play, pay for itself? And I don't pretend to know what the answer is, but if you ask yourself, and then I said, tell me a week from now what you came up with. And don't force the answer. Just ask the question. That's the power of the mind. And what happens when you believe you can do a thing, you don't even have to consciously do it a lot of times. You'll start doing You'll start asking, but how can I? But how can I? And that brain will work when you sleep. It'll work when you're doing something else, whether it's something you're really concentrating on or it's something mindless at work. The background process will run and it will seek an answer. And all of a sudden you'll find yourself finding solutions to questions you didn't even really know you asked. But by your very belief that it could be accomplished, you started asking the question. And when we say we can't, what we're really saying is we won't. Because... Can't and won't are very different. I could right now get up, leave the camera on, and walk away and not come back and just leave y'all hanging. I can do that. Nothing prevents it, but I won't. And I won't do it because it would be a shitty way to run a podcast. So you guys would be like, this guy's a jerk, and I don't mean the good way. We always say, like, what's wrong with him? Why do you just walk off like that? Where is he coming back? So I won't do it, but I can and so many things that people say, well, I can't do this or I can't do that. And the way you know is, is generally when right after I can't do X and the next word out of the mouth is because. And because is not I can't fly because I don't have wings, right? Because that would be a good answer. You know, without an airplane, you ain't flying. Flap your arms as hard as you want. But it's usually because of some form of comfort or preference, so because I don't want to mess up my comfort or my preference with where I am in life, even though I say I don't want to be there, I won't do it. And this is, this is a very hard thing for people to look internally and accept. And the reason it's so difficult is because as soon as you do it, you start having immediate take, immediately take responsibility for all of the time that you have failed to act up till now. Here's the thing. The longer you wait, the harder that step is. And the step is only hard the first time you do it. Once you do it, it gets easier and easier, assuming you remain in motion. And society is historically full of examples of this. I could do a whole show, nothing but examples of 
groupthink going from I can't or no one can, not just I can't do it, to it being expected. Back in 1954, Roger Bannister broke what was called the four-minute mile, right? And up until Roger Bannister did that, there were people that were Eeyores about no one will ever be able to run a mile in under four minutes. It's it's humanly impossible. They talked about it like right now. Do you think a human can run a mile in 30 seconds? You can do some basic math and figure out the physical limitation of the human being is such that that's actually a can't as far as we know. People look at four minutes that way. No one will ever do it. It was less than two months. It was either two or three months later. I think it was 57 days or 67 days, one or the other. Somebody else did it. No one can do it. One guy does it by the, the skin of his teeth. It was like half of a second under. And then within a month or two, somebody else does it. And now, if you can't beat a four-minute mile, you're not even in high-level middle-distance competition. It's, it's par for the course. Because the minute it, it became obvious that this was possible, plenty of people who were already running and thought they were going as fast as they could got over that hurdle. There's a more recent example. That's a very famous one. I'm going to give you one that's a lot less known unless you're into, like, mountain climbing and stuff like that. In 2015... Tommy Caldwell uh, and or Tommy Caldwell and Kevin Jorgensen free climbed the Dawn Wall of El Capitan, which is in Yosemite in California. So you know Mount Everest gets all of the, the all of the, uh, the the fame because it's the tallest mountain, um, but no, they thought it was impossible. Human beings cannot climb the Dawn Wall of this mountain free climb. That means you're, you're just basically climbing. you got safety gear, but you're just using your hands and your feet to climb. And it took them something like 19 days. How the hell you sleep like that, I don't know. I couldn't do it. But they did it. And since they've done it, other people have done it. The minute it was possible because somebody did it, other people were able to do it too. And again, history is replete with stuff like this. And it's also the case that once certain things are done, it unleashes very rapid advancement in humanity. For instance, in, uh, let me refresh this real quick. I guess I didn't save it. Um, I think I got my notes over here real quick too. Maybe I just didn't. So it was 24 years between the Wright brothers' first flight at Kitty Hawk. 24 years later, Charles Lindbergh flew a plane across the Atlantic Ocean. So in a 24-year period of time, we went from a place where people didn't think we would ever be able to fly with it, like an airplane was a fantasy. And here's a couple guys that make bicycles basically putting a propeller on a glider and getting it off the ground for a few hundred feet. And in a couple decades, you got a guy getting in a plane 
And in the words of the song, thumbed his nose at gravity and flew until the heavens, right? And, you know, then when he came back down on the same day on another continent, you know, next thing you know, we have, we have people traveling across oceans routinely. Now, that's technological evolution, but until the first flight, there was no progress made. What's interesting then is it was only 34 years after Lindbergh flew to Paris that the Russians put the first man in space. 34 years from barely being able to get across an ocean to launching a capsule into space with a man inside it and returning him to Earth. This is incredibly rapid because once it was known Collectively, people started saying, well, what, what else can we do? How far can we go? What can we accomplish? How can I contribute to it? And what we should, what we should all be asking ourselves is how, how can I do that type of thing for myself in my own life, inside my sphere of control? Because the only thing holding you back, honest to God, is yourself. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the generations today, but I'm not doing it to beat up on the youngest generation. When I get to it, you're going to hear me point out to them that what they're going through is nothing that, you know, I'm a Gen Xer. It's nothing I didn't go through. Gen Z's going through it right now. Millennials are still dealing with that transition in their life, but a lot of the millennials now are 40. Right. And, and you guys that are 22 and think you have it so rough compared to them, they thought the same thing about my generation. My generation thought the same thing about my daddy's generation. But I do think we've hit a place where the problem is in an effort to divide and control us, that natural inclination, you know, into, in the words of the Mike's and the Mechanics song, every generation blames the one before They've grabbed onto it. The people in power grabbed onto it and told you it's their fault. It's their fault. You don't have what you want. And that's resulted in our youngest generation right now that's coming into adulthood. People that are, you know, 15 to 25. You have this disease worse than any generation before you. It's not your fault. It was done to you, but it doesn't matter. The only person that can cure it is you. Um, and to kind of soften the blow of the ass beating you're fixing to get from me, it's not anybody's fault on some levels because this is literally hardwired into our brains. We are naturally cautious. We naturally don't take risks. We naturally conform to groups and we naturally follow the leadership of people who have managed not to get us killed so far. Okay? And this is a very easy thing to understand, but it's something we don't talk about and you know, we don't educate people to it, especially when they're kids, when we should be teaching them, because it gives us both the, the understanding of why we do need to be cautious and not take stupid risks and not get hurt. Like Shark Week started, and I was watching this documentary because I like Shark Week, and they were trying to figure out why more men get bit by sharks than women. Well, in the end, it is because we do more stupid shit than women do, and we take more risks than they do, right? 
So there is a point to rein the risk in, but then take measured risk to, to, to expand. And this is exactly why we have all held ourselves back at time because we're genetically wired to do so. We evolved with big, smart brains. A stupid person that we would all say that person's dumb is way more intelligent than most life forms on this planet. And we have more ability to willingly cooperate or willingly not cooperate as a, a species than any other species we know of anyway. And so way back in the day when we were all a bunch of cavemen running around, if you saw something like, hey, look, there's a big animal eating another dead animal, and you ran out there and yelled at it, two things could happen. It runs away and you can steal its food. Or it goes, oh, look, I'm going to eat you too. And the person that was more cautious and observant and figured out how do we chase those lions away without getting eaten lived. And the dummy that went out there and, well, I'm going to get me some free antelope died. So caution favored survival. Caution, cooperation, and conformity. This is an evolutionary genetic reality. So it's something you have to be grateful for. It's why you don't go kill yourself and jump in front of vehicles, right? And you get more wise with age about not taking stupid risks, but you also get more careful in some ways to your own detriment. And this is wired into our brains. And the other side of it is, well, I don't know how else to put it. Comfort zones are comfortable. And we don't like to be uncomfortable. If you look at like anything we do to improve ourselves, there's some uncomfortability in it. Uh, Nicole Sauce just completed a, a 75 hard. They call it a hard because it's hard. There's times you want to not do it. And if you want to get through it, you got to do it every day for 75 days. And it requires a commitment and it creates growth by being uncomfortable. Nicole didn't do it to lose weight. That was a byproduct and she lost some weight. She looks great. But she did it because she knew she wanted to get to another level in life. And by challenging herself and going through something uncomfortable, she's able to now kind of rewire and reestablish her future goals. And this is difficult for people to do. And I think the more times you've had it happen in life where you shouldn't have been uncomfortable, you should have been looking forward to it, right? Um and, and but you 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 did you you kind of weren't comfortable with something you should have been looking or you were looking forward to or maybe you even said I can't wait until and then you felt uncomfortable. For most people, the first real example of that is graduating school and maybe not even high school. Maybe it's like going from middle school to high school. Like I can't wait till I'm in high school, right? And then you graduate the eighth grade, and then your whole world kind of changes and maybe you're a little bit apprehensive where you get out of high school and either you go on to trade school or the military or into college. And then that's something you said you wanted to do, but it's a little bit uncomfortable. You're concerned. You kind of feel a little bit like, I don't know if I really want to do this. And I remember like when I got out of basic training in the army and basic training is not fun. I mean, I had some fun, but overall it is not a pleasant experience. And so you're just, I can't wait till graduation day. But somehow, surrounded by the same people every day, having the same drill sergeants that you are comfortable with, even though it's not a pleasant experience, it becomes 
comfortable. All of a sudden, you're going off to AIT and you're say, saying goodbye to all these guys that you have learned to trust. And you're going to have new instructors. They're going to yell at you in a different way about different things. And you have to go into an academic mode and you're going to live in a different place. And it feels a little uncomfortable. You feel like, I can't wait to be done with this shit. Go to my regular unit, do my job while I came here in the first place. Next thing you know, you're going to a different country. It becomes uncomfortable. I think the more times we experience this, the less likely we are to be mired in comfort. And this is why I think there's an unusually high success rate in life for people that have military service and for people that move with an intention geographically. And we see this with immigrants that maybe come to the United States from Vietnam or something, and in 10 years, they're real estate millionaires. They come here with nothing. But you see it when somebody moves from California to Tennessee because you had to become uncomfortable, and you learn there's, a, there's an advantage to doing that. But it's hard to break. And people don't even realize often they're comfort, comfortable in their misery. I've seen it in people I care about I've tried to help. They say they're miserable, and you start pointing out that they could do something to change their, their situation, and they get angry. They speak with a, a tone of, of actual violence because you're interfering with their comfort. They've actually become comfortable by saying they're a victim. Even though they're not happy, they're still comfortable. Comfortable and happy are different things. You know, when, I, when we fly, I always fly first class. Because it costs three times as much and it's ten times better. And I'm going to ride it off with the government anyway. So, But when we were stuck on my vacation for two hours, right, on the tarmac due to a delay, I was comfortable, but I wasn't happy. I was in a big-ass chair reclining, drinking a, 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 a bourbon. So I was, I was comfortable. But I wasn't happy because my, my time was being taken from me. And in that instance, there wasn't much I could do about it. I could have got up and said, that motherfucker's not real. Got off the plane, right? But, oh, by the way, it turns out that lady wasn't the crazy one. I'm not going to get into that thing. She ain't as crazy as she's been made out to be. There was a legitimate threat made on that aircraft. Um, so be careful how you judge people. But, I mean, what was my choice, right? but I was not happy. So you can be comfortable and not happy. That's very important to understand. And then the next thing you have to understand before we move on to all the fear-based roles is the role of something called the amygdala. The amygdala is a cluster within your brain, and it is the location of fear. And it has a very important role. People won't be like, I'm fearless. You know what you call fearless people? The dearly departed. If somebody's really not afraid of anything, you, you will soon call them either the defendant or the departed. Because they'll do something stupid and they'll either end up dead in a wheelchair or in prison. Because you can say you're not afraid, but when a car comes screaming down the road at you and you jump out of the way, that was fear of getting killed and your fear kept you alive. So we need fear as one of our emotions. The problem is it exists and we can have that response to a thing when it's not appropriate. Or we can overreact to something. 
So, for instance, it's good that you have a healthy fear of something that might envenomate you like a snake. But if you had an excessive fear of a snake, and it even let's say it's a venomous snake. Let's say you're walking along, but there's a cliff on your left, and you look 10 feet in front of you, and there's a rattlesnake. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's no way that rattlesnake can get to you from 10 feet away. It's not, it's not going to try, but it's not possible. It's impossible. But it's something you should have, especially if you don't know what you're doing. You don't want to be that dumb guy. I'm not afraid, and now you're dead or you're going to the hospital. Because um, the number one group that gets bit by venomous snakes is young men age 15 to 35, and the number one place they're bit are on the hand and lower arms. There's only one way that happens, all right? So you don't want to be that guy, but you also don't want to be so afraid of it that you overreact to a perceived threat and end up going down the hill and dying. You go down that hill like a coyote and make a little poof at the bottom. And even if you did get bit, you're more likely to survive that than going down the cliff. So that's an irrational fear. And this is something that's in your brain, and you have to learn to control it without trying to switch it all the way off because there's healthy fears. So the biggest reasons for I can't thinking all lie in fear, and it's number one is fear of failure. Well, if I try, I might not succeed. So what? Shut up. Do it anyway. You don't have what you're trying to achieve. So you ha you're at a zero-sum game at this point. If I try to get my position in life better, and I was going to say that success equals a one, and I only get to a 0.5, so what? I'm still 0.5 better than before I tried. I don't understand. Joe says when I was on that plane, was it a good bourbon? Not really. It was okay. It was all right. It wasn't great, though. It wasn't what I would have bought for myself. But it made it a little less uncomfortable. But I wasn't happy. But, yeah, the fear that you will fail is really a dumb fear. Now, if failure is, you, again, you balance things. Like, if I fail at this, I will bankrupt my family. Okay, that's something you need to put some sort of redundancy or safeguard into to get past the fear. Don't just do a dumb thing. But most of the things that people are afraid they won't do well at, it won't matter. It won't matter. I know so many people that talk about doing a podcast so much, they could have just recorded talking about doing a podcast, and did a podcast about talking about doing podcasts by now, but they don't try. You know what happens when you fail at doing a podcast? Nothing. Nothing happens. No one cares. It doesn't matter. And you will find that your success is probably a, like a successful podcast that you keep doing, that you successfully monetize as a one, you probably get a .5 out of it. You'll learn about the technology. You'll learn about editing. You'll learn about how to find guests. You'll learn... And then you can go do something else with those skills if you decide it's not right for you. But you get zero if you let fear prevent you from trying. So fear of failure is the number one reason, and it's stupid. It's absolutely stupid to not do something because you might not succeed. But we do it all the time. And I'm not going to say it never happens to me. I have to stay just as on guard for this as I'm telling you guys. We all find ourselves getting comfortable and not wanting to be uncomfortable and then letting fear block us. Next is fear of criticism. Guys, that's one I don't struggle with very much. If I feared criticism, trust me, I'll tell you what, if you have a fear of criticism, podcasting is not the place for you because you're going to get criticism. 
I could, God wrote me damn near a dissertation on how I had no right to podcast because I didn't have a degree in broadcasting. True story. That's all the way back in 2008 when there were about 45 people listening to me. This dude was triggered enough because I said something he didn't like to criticize me for daring to even pretend to be media. That was his words. I didn't give a shit. But I've come to realize a lot of things that that I have is that are their attributes are things that I just think are common for other people to have and they're not. And a lot of things that I have that are detriments that I think everybody else has, I'm actually kind of rare that I have those detriments. Everybody's the same with that. So do not be afraid of criticism. There's a Chinese proverb, the person saying a thing can't be done should not get in the way of the person actively doing it. So when you get criticism because you're trying to do something new, the person criticizing you is generally not a highly successful individual, especially at the thing you're trying to do. Because I'll tell you what happens when you're really successful at something and you see somebody honestly trying, right? You see somebody honestly trying to do the thing you're good at, the most instinctual thing that humans do who are actually good at the thing is stick their hand out and say, let me help you up. This is the most natural thing in the world. And people often wonder, well, why no one is why is no one helping me? Because the number one way you attract people in your life that will help you is to try and to do your best with what you have. I can't tell you how many people in this audience have helped me make this show better only because I'm trying. If I wasn't trying, it wouldn't happen. Never be afraid of criticism. Don't be afraid to fail. There's also fear driven by past trauma or experiences. You know, if you were a kid that was highly picked on as a kid, and especially in my, I'm talking younger years, like grade school, I was. It can be hard to get past it. Some of us are just dicks, and we don't really care, and we, like, that's in the rearview mirror, but sometimes it sticks with you. Or you've been through a situation where you've tried really hard, and you've had a lot of failures, and they were painful, and if I do it again, it might hurt again. It might do it anyway. If you keep failing, you will succeed. If you're actually trying for success, be careful you're not self-sabotaging yourself because I see a lot of that as well. And then fear of accepting personal responsibility, I think is actually the biggest one of them all. I really do because when you say, I'm going to change my position in life right now, I'm going to, I'm going to start today. And today I'm going to do one thing to make my life a little bit better than it was yesterday. And I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to set goals. I'm going to hold myself accountable and I'm going to make myself get there. That all sounds great right up until you realize the thing that holds you from doing it is in that moment, which I encourage you to have, you know, even if you can't articulate it in your heart, in your soul, in your id, you know. That means I am the biggest reason I am where I am. Let me go and be a little bit of jerk jack and tell you something. That's true whether you admit it or not. It won't not be true. It's like the person that thinks they have cancer, but they won't go to the doctor and see if there's anything that can be done. Because when the doctor says they have cancer, it becomes real. You got cancer, you got cancer. 
You need to do the best you can to deal with it. It sucks. Hate it for anybody. But you got to do something. There's people who didn't have to die, but they wouldn't look at the problem and seek a solution because it wasn't really real until somebody said it or until they admitted it. Well, the same thing happens with all of the things you want to accomplish in life, building a business, you know, finding a new job, moving, getting a piece, whatever it is for you. The, the minute I admit there's something that I can do, I, I'm also admitting. I'm also admitting that up until now I haven't and it's my fault. It terrifies people to admit that, especially the people that have been most manipulated and I'm talking 40 and under here, not just really young people, by this whole socialist, nonsensical bullshit, right? It's not your fault. I mean, you've been told you're a victim your whole life. And the day and you're actually not just accepting responsibility, it's harder than that because you're turning your back on ideology. You know, one of the things that was more difficult for me than I thought it would be when I was a very young man was leaving the Catholic Church. I just realized I didn't want anything to do with it anymore. But there was a comfort there and it was hard. It was hard to walk away from because I would be, I'd been conditioned that this is what I'm supposed to do. And I had to eventually do what was right for me. And it didn't come without some family sacrifice. So be it. So be it. And you have to figure out in these situations where you're letting simply the acknowledgement that you are responsible for where you are be the fear that prevents getting past the wall of can't because we need to blow a fucking hole in that wall. Giant shape charges of, of freaking explosives and blow a hole in that wall because it's the only way to get rid of it. The longer you've built it, the higher you've built it and the thicker you've built it, the more Semtech you need to apply to it. So let's, let's talking about breaking through that wall. Number one, find your fears, shine a light on. Nicole was just here for a few days with us on both sides of the party, and we were talking about the fall workshop with some people. And we were talking about how sometimes, and it's not usually a planned session this happens with, like we'll have some free time, and Nicole and I are pretty good on, you know, getting people into kind of the mode of ready to break out with their business. So we'll do some coaching, and a lot of times that person will cry. And the reason they'll cry is they will find their fear and admit their fear. And when they do, it becomes completely obvious to them that they've been allowing it to hold them back the whole time. And they realize, they, re they realize that they've been doing it the whole time. But the thing that makes them cry isn't that. It's a reality that they don't have to anymore. Because when you find it, and when you really identify it and you really key in on it, you realize you don't have to do this anymore. And it's so liberating that it creates that emotional response. So take the time to deeply seek out what is it that you fear. And don't say there's nothing. Don't tell me I can't do this and I can't do that. No, my God, you have it so good and I have it so bad. Wah, 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 like a freaking baby to shit your pants. And then say you're not afraid of anything. Because in two words, bullshit. Of course you're afraid of something. We're all afraid of certain things. We're all held back by our own fears and anxieties. Find them. Be malicious. 
be your own therapist. Don't sit on a couch for two years to be told you're cured because you, now you hate your parents. It's ain't your parents' fault. I mean, some people have shitty parents. I did too. It still ain't my parents' fault. I'm a grown ass man. I'm 51 years old. We don't even blame my parents for the rest of my freaking life. I don't have time for that shit. Find your fears and shine a light on them. Find your heroes and let their path guide your own. And I'm going to tell you the biggest problem with this approach, what people do to sabotage themselves. They either under or over hero. Because I don't really mean heroes here. It's just a word that kind of hits people the right way in this talk. I really mean examples. I really mean examples. So often a person will under hero and that the example they pick, getting to where that person is is too easy. And this is the thing. The person whose example you follow, you're probably going to fall under their performance or over, not meet. Okay? It's just, and it, it's not due to your ability. It's just due to the nature of how this works. So if you make me the example that you follow, you might be under-heroing if you want to be a successful podcaster. You might need to be looking at someone that's gone a lot further, that does things a lot more professional than me. Because if you want to get at least to where I am, you need to be stretching just like that hurdle that's a little bit higher than you can actually jump. And you'll go further by chasing something you might not ever get to. So what's overheroing? Overheroing is when you you make your hero some like multi-trillionaire tycoon or some shit like that. And you just accept from the beginning, I really admire this person, what they did, and I'll quote them, and I'll do some of the things they advise, but I know I'm never going to catch them. I know I'm never going to catch them. You know, all the years I was in the Army, just three years, um, we had it. I think they've changed the physical fitness test. But at the time I was in, the uh, 17 to 21, I think, or 17 to 25-year-old, the requirements to max the PT test and get a perfect score or above a 290 were pretty hard. I think we had to do 92 sit-ups in under two minutes, and they had to be right. You got a guy sitting there right, right watching every one of them. 82 push-ups, those were the max. And I think it was 11.58 in the two-mile run. That's moving pretty damn good. And I'm, I'm a white dude with short, big legs. I do not run fast. I have never been a great runner. And I could always max the push-up and the sit-up. And I think I needed something like a, like a 12.30 or something like that on the run to get 90 points out of it and get my master fitness patch. Well, eventually I did it. And the reason I did it is I was just having a really good run that day, and there was a dude behind me, big dude. I could hear his feet, thump, 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 thump. This dude had a stride. He had, you know, eight inches of stride on me, but I knew he was trying to catch me. And I'm like, you're not catching me. And I ended up with like a 12, 13. I never ran it that fast again. But in that moment with that guy behind me and I could hear him and I could hear him saying he and he knew what he was doing, but he was really trying to do it. He wasn't just doing it to help me. He's like, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And, and when we came across, he came across like five, five strides behind me. And he said, I thought I was going to get you. Well, I was running from somebody, not because I was afraid, because I was motivated. But you can, but he was doing what I'm telling you to do. He was trying to catch me. Right? 
This stocky little white dude, I got to be able to catch him. No, not today. Not today, Satan. Not today, right? Like, I'm not letting this happen. You need to run after someone who's faster than you, but you believe that not only you can catch them, you can pass them. That's probably the single most powerful thing you can do. The thing you want to do, find someone doing it better than you and go emulate what they're doing. Also, I talked about it a little already, but wake up, kiddos. You're not without because the boomers ruined it. The, the, the Internet is full of all these young, spoiled, entitled little assholes. I'm sorry. And whenever somebody from the boomer generation says something about pulling yourself up and working harder and squaring your shoulders, whatever, they all lose their shit. It's because people like you that we don't have anything anymore. You have so much shit and so much opportunity that no boomer ever had when they were your age. You need to shut up and get to work. And you can tell that this is all nonsense. Because when I talk like I do, what do they call me? A boomer. I ain't even close to a boomer. You know what a boomer is to, 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 to a lot of people? Anybody over 35 that's successful becomes a boomer when they tell you you can do it. Bullshit. And you know what? If that's you, you will never, ever, never, ever, never, until you stop that shit, ever have anything. You won't. If you win the lottery, you'll be broken five years or less. I'm telling you, there's as much opportunity today as there ever was. There are unique challenges. There are definitely unique challenges that that the prior generations didn't have to contend with, but there are opportunities that the prior generation couldn't even conceive of. You don't not have. You do not not have something because somebody else has it. You have it because you you don't have it because you haven't done the work and the and the thought process and the planning to obtain it yet. And you have to. Yes, Hunter, you are a boomer, according to some people. I guarantee you, you get on TikTok and start talking like I am right now, and they'll call you a boomer, and they'll be older than you. That's how warped we've made these people's brains. It's not your fault. If somebody said this to you, you're like, this guy's a dick. It's not your fault, but it is your problem. It's your problem. I hear all the time the way people were raised or whatever. Okay, how old are you, 30? Shut up and grow up. You can't blame your parents for the rest of your life. You got to make some shit happen. It's up to you. Do or do not, right? By the way, the only thing Yoda got right with do or do not, there is no try. It's all about try. It's all about try and failure. Do or do not, sure. There is no try, wrong. You keep trying until you do. That's the way to understand that. Next, develop community. And I'm not just talking about the kind of community we talk about all the time with TSP and having, you know, networks. No, I mean community with people who are better than you at something that are better than you. That you look at that person and say, I'd like to be more like this person in these two ways. That's someone that qualifies for you to spend time with. And hopefully there's something about you. Hopefully it's mutual. There's something about you that they feel the same way about. I'd like to be more like, you know, Matthew here in, in one way. And maybe then Matthew, if he's part of my network, wants to be more like me in some way. That's lifting yourself up. And understand, it's good that they're better than you. 
And I'm going to talk a little bit later about being okay with the concept of this person being better than you. This is something that we tend to shy away from when we think of it in general terms. And I'll let that percolate your mind for a bit as I move on. You're not better than me. People say that all the time. He's no better than me. This billionaire is not better than me, meaning as a man, as a person. Yeah, they are. I'll give you the good news about that in a little bit. Um, determine if you want a passion-based income. If you're looking to improve your life financially, do you want a passion-based income? Or do you want an income that allows you to perceive your passions? Because they're two very different things. I have a passion-based income. This is what I do. This is how I pay my bills. And this is when I am my happiest. I, I mean, I considered becoming a teacher all the way back when I graduated high school. And I thought about using the GI Bill and the Army College Fund to do it when I got out of the Army. But I just determined that since I was told that everybody that's teaching is miserable and underpaid, that doesn't seem like a good idea. When I found sales, I realized that I could begin to start kind of teaching. When I got into marketing, I really could. And when I got into speaking publicly, I found that you could actually make a lot of money teaching. And then when I found podcasting, I made it scalable to where I could teach every day of my life. And so that's my passion. My passion is learning and then taking information and making it into a format where other people can understand it. So that's what I do. That's a passion-based business. If you love something and you can figure out how to monetize it without destroying your love for it, then you can have a passion-based income. So what is an income that allows you to pursue your passion? It has to be something that doesn't suck your soul away or your time away to where pursuing your passion means you do it as a hobby on Saturday and Sunday. So it's some form of a passive income stream. So an example would be something like real estate. If you can make a real estate business work, you can make a very passive income system off of real estate. You can actually get to a point where you have a full-time income and you're doing about 10 hours of work in your business a week. And then you can pursue your passion. Neither one of them's wrong, but you better know what you're after because you might build an incredible real estate empire and you don't give a shit about it. You know, you're not passionate about real estate. You don't care about rental houses or flipping houses, but you don't care about any of that shit, but you care about money. And so you're pursuing a passive income stream and there's other forms that's just an obvious one, and I wanted to make the delineation for you. So determine what you want. Do you want a lifestyle, passion-based income? Or do you want a passive income where you don't give it? You know, there's people, they just build really build big businesses really fast, sell them to someone else, take the money, and that's as good as, as a passive continuous flow for them. Or maybe they then reinvest it into something like real estate over time. But you got to figure out which one of those you want and then start designing a life with that in mind. Where are you going and where are you? I've used this analogy before, but like if I tell you to go to Philadelphia, since you know where you are and you know how a GPS works or you know how a map works, you have a highway system works, how a car works, you can go to Philadelphia. But what if I put you on a helicopter, blindfolded your ass, flew you in great big giant circles, and then bird takes off, lands to refuel a couple times, hops around a bunch of places, and I drop you off in the middle of freaking Wyoming with no roads around. 
and you don't know you're in Wyoming, and I tell you to go to Philadelphia, if you're going to get to Philadelphia, and I agree, K-Bong's saying stay away from Philadelphia. Uh, there's some cool parts of Philly, but I wouldn't want to live there. Um, but if I tell, the first thing you have to do to get to Philadelphia is do what? Where the hell am I? Once you know where you are and where you want to go, navigation becomes routine. So how the hell are people to, I'm trying, I'm trying. Where are you trying to get to? I don't know. Where are you trying to, where are you at? I'm right here. I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. No, 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 no. Where are you at on your journey? Are you starting? You 10% there, 20% there, 30% there? Which road leads to this place? How much money do you need to have to get started? How much money do you have? How much money are you spending that you don't need to spend? Where's your budget? Where's your business plan? No answer to any of that shit. You ain't trying. You're, you're having a mental masturbation session once a day. And honestly, as, as, as bad as I kind of shit talk mental masturbation, there's, there's beauty and vision and dreams and talking to yourself and to others about where you're going. But absent the action, it's useless. It's like that's like creating vision. If you're taking action to go along with it, you're creating vision. If you're not taking action to go along with it, you're mentally masturbating. And if you want to waste time, mental masturbation is not a bad way to do it. But if you want to achieve things, it's, it's highly detrimental. Because what, what happens in that instance is since there's no limit on what you can dream about without acting, you dream about the things you don't even want. You just think you want. You know, ask a person, if I gave you $10 million right now, tax-free, what would you do? They start off with shit like, well, I would pay off all my bills. Okay, fine. Your bills are paid off. Now what? I go on vacation around the world. I go out and party. I get myself a big car. Okay, you got all the shit that you want, all the stuff. What are you going to do? They don't know. How the hell are you going to build a life giving you what you want if you wouldn't be able to figure out what you wanted with $10 million in your hand? The answer is you're not going to. So you have to think about what you really want. Figure out where you are in relation to that. What does the navigation look like to that point? And the, back to what we said earlier, the best way to get that map, at least rough draw, find somebody already doing it and look at all the things they did to get there and do that. Think about it this way. Let's say you had no idea how to build a fire. And I didn't tell you how to build a fire. I didn't say, like, this is what you need to do. If you just watched me start a fire, well, I see what he's doing there. He's got some little things and some other little things, and he's putting those things together. He puts spark on it, started to burn, and when it didn't quite burn, he put, fanned the flame a little bit, and when the wind blew too much, put a wind block, and next thing you know, you've had a fire. Maybe the first time you tried to make a fire, you would fail, but you would have a, a map. There's a system to making a fire. There's actually multiple systems, and if you follow any of them, you get a fire. Sometimes fires happen all by themselves. So when you follow a system, you're going to get a fire. But when you don't follow a system, if you do get one, you got lucky. And you might burn yourself or burn your house down because you didn't know what she's doing. So find that template to emulate and get to work on designing your own map and start out with figuring out where you're at and be honest because being honest is hard. 
it's funny. People have no problems telling you how miserable they are and how it's not my fault. You know, it's the boomers that are the Gen X assholes or whatever. But when you say, where are you at? And they actually have to define it instead of just generalize. They don't want to do it. It's hard to look at it. Again, it's like going to the doctor when you think you have cancer. Once I accept it and define it, it's real. It's real whether you do it or not. It hurts you whether you address it or not. I can't be more clear. Next, write down your goals and plans and organize plans in a logical step. and Then take the first one. No matter what it is, go do it. A lot of times it's an itty-bitty step. It's an itty-bitty step. It's an itty-bitty step. You don't even think it's that big a deal. You almost don't want to take it because it seems too little. But the first step, if you'll let it be what it is, which is I stepped out of this shadow, right? I stepped out of this shadow. It, de- it develops momentum. And the next step that's actually more difficult is mentally easier, as is the next. And there's nothing that motivates like progress. Nothing motivates like progress. Then remember, you can't lose what you don't have. I, I find this, and this is back to that fear of failure thing. This idea that will fight, but you know what you're losing when you try a thing that you say you wanted to, if you fail to obtain it. You're losing the mental masturbation. You're losing the dream. You're risking being able to sit there and think, well, someday I will fill in the blank. Well, it will never happen if you don't try. It will never happen if you don't try. Go for it. Go for it with everything you have. Don't for one second hold back from trying ever because, well, I might fail. I could lose. What the hell do you have to lose? You don't have it. If I if I go into real estate and the market crashes, I could lose the house. You mean the house you don't have right now, the one you don't have right now? Or whatever it is. I'm just again, it's just a, a very common example and easy to use. The reality is that every person that ever built a great life starting with almost nothing has has some things in common. One In the beginning, it was hard, and it sucked, and it's supposed to. It's supposed to. Most people that you listen to talk like this today, they don't come from a family with money. They don't come. That's why they do it, by the way. That's why they do it. So let's say that I was born into a wealthy family, and that I went to good schools, and I had two loving parents who gave me everything and every opportunity. And let's say I didn't turn into a spoiled-ass brat. Let's say I used my big-ass brain, and instead of going in the Army, I went in college and got a really great job. And let's say it was in investment management or something, and I probably would have been good at that. And I was worth millions of dollars. I was just as successful in some ways more, some ways less successful than I am today. You think I'd be online going, hey, let me tell you how you can get there. I I think the reason that the people that do this type of thing do it is a sense of obligation and giving back. Because I absolutely know 
than anybody can. And no one seemed to really be there like they are now. Remember, I'm not a boomer, but I'm an older Gen X. There was no Internet. Like, when you wanted to hear motivational speakers, you had to go buy a big-ass set of cassettes, and there's more money than you had. It was hard. And so you feel like there's so much opportunity to share this information now, to help people. I got there. Don't I owe something back to tell people how simple it really is? Not to say, hey, follow my system so you can become a rich real estate investor. As though that's the only thing there is to do. But to say, look, these are the principles. You figure out what you want for you. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. That's bullshit. That's the complete opposite of what I talk about. But a feeling of obligation. I think it's like when you adopt a rescue dog versus get one from a breeder. It seems like for the rest of that dog's life, they know you saved their life. They're the most dedicated, loyal dogs you'll ever own are the ones you take in off the street or out of a shelter. They can't articulate it, but they intrinsically know you saved them. And I think when you pull yourself from nothing, you feel this obligation to share. Hey, stop saying you can't because I know you're wrong. I know you're fucking wrong. And don't do this to yourself. I think you can also look back and go, what if I didn't? You know, I can see myself living in some shithole, run-down house, half-double, we call them, in Pottsville right now, and living for my few little measly hours of freedom on the weekend to go fishing. And being fat and overweight and miserable and hating the world and thinking it's not my fault. I can see that that was potentially who I would have become. Fortunately, even as a young, stupid kid, there was something in me told me, uh, you have to get out of here. You have to see the world a different way. What are you going to do? I don't know, but I know I have to go experience things from a different viewpoint, a different vantage point. The Army happened to be what I did. And then I did it again. I moved down here to Texas. And then I switched careers. I mean, like all those times you had to jump. But I know it would have been easy not to. I can see myself right now. If I'd been a good little drone, that everything that Fluke Networks told me to do, never pushed back, always gave them everything they asked for, kissed ass, I could still be working for those bastards today. And I'd have a great job. Uh, that, but I would be miserable. I don't want that for anybody else. And I think that's, that's a big part. In the beginning, it's going to suck. And anybody tells you otherwise is a liar. You shouldn't listen to them. They also realized that time was shorter than we think it is. I remember one of the times I really decided, okay, I'm doing something else. I was pretty young. I had a job in, in, in telecom. And we got a new 401k provider. And the guy that they send in, the financial liar, was explaining 10%. And you do this until you're 65 or 70 and I looked around and everybody in the break room's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I thought, I ain't doing this shit. I ain't doing this shit till I'm in my 60s. Are you kidding me? I'm not working for anybody until I'm 60. And I got a, and I had no idea what the solution was at the time. 
that's when I went into sales because it was a place I could get into where I wrote my own check and I knew I would learn at an accelerated speed. But it was like, no, that will not be who I am. Because I understood I'm going to be 30 like that. I'm going to be 40 like that. That happened one more time and I'm 50. I'm going to be 51 years old in a couple of weeks. Thank God I said no. And I said no because I knew we all get old. And I'm telling you, young people are sitting here pissing away your youth with your whiny shit. You're going to get old faster than you can imagine. And you're going to look around and you're going to wonder why the person that's your age now won't do anything for themselves or you'll commiserate. I hate looking and seeing people not do for themselves. But I would feel a lot worse if I was part of it because there's plenty of people my age and older. They agree with you. You just can't. Neither can I. I know people that are in their 60s. They ain't never done shit with their life. And they still talk about someday. Let's be honest. You ain't done shit by 60. It will take something really exceptional in you to change it. And I hope you find it. But you don't have the time you did when you were 25. The, lo- the younger you are when you realize that the days are long, but the years are short, the more success you'll have in those years. And they'll be shorter than you think. They also made themselves uncomfortable. I don't know anybody that's accomplished jack shit that didn't make themselves uncomfortable. I really don't. Not just went through things that weren't uncomfortable, but willingly accepted this is not going to be comfortable. This is going to be uncomfortable. And in fact, did things they didn't have to do to learn from or develop from the experience and committed to things that were long, hard roads. Like Nicole with 75 hard. I'm so proud of her. She made herself uncomfortable to become better. Anybody can, if you will, pick something that will make you uncomfortable with the intent of bettering yourself and see it through. It'll change you. It'll change you. I think, again, back to the military. You know what's uncomfortable? Bayonet course. It's uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. A 25-mile road march with full gear, it's uncomfortable. Airborne school and running everywhere you go for three weeks in combat boots and full uniform, it's uncomfortable. And when you get through something that's uncomfortable, you realize you can. You stop letting fear get in the way. They also refused to settle for good enough. People that are really successful, there was a point that they reached in their journey that they could have stopped and and plateaued. And not a single person around them would have thought they were a loser or a failure. They wouldn't have lost their house. They would have still had a retirement that was worth having. They might still have good kids and a good spouse. But it wasn't where they really wanted to be. They had not become exceptional. And instead of taking the easy way and say, you know what? I'm pretty comfortable now. Why rock the boat? They kept pursuing what they really wanted. And they went through again, a need to be uncomfortable. 
That's the number one thing. If I've said it a lot, it's because it's one of the number one things I want you to take from today. You need to be uncomfortable. Growth is not comfortable. We call it growing pains for a reason. And it's easy to forget as an adult, especially if you don't have kids or grandkids around, growing pains, physical pains and growth, like in the bones of the leg, especially in boys, seems to be more prominent, is a thing. Actually, physically hurts to grow. What's the alternative? Not. Not. So many people choose not to grow. Never settle for good enough. And this is what I'll come back to toward the end. I'll say this one for you. Yes, the self-made billionaire is better than you. Yes, the person who is successfully doing the thing that you want to do that you're not is better than you. I know that probably bends your nose the wrong way, but hear me out. I don't mean that their intrinsic worth as a human makes them better than you. I mean they're better at all the things that allow them to do what they're doing. They're better than you at those, which might include something like they're in physically in better shape than you so they can work harder and longer than you. They're more astute to business principles that apply to what they're doing than you. So they're better at that than you. The thing itself, they're more talented at than you because they're better than you at it. But this is the good news. They're only better than you because they made themselves better. We say it again. They're only better than you because they made themselves better than they were. What does that mean? What is, and, and G. Thoreau here is getting it. My future self is better than me. That is a home run. That's an A-plus, dude. That's exactly right. That's the exact point. If they can make themselves better and hence be better than you, then so can you. You need to be better than you. And as long as you take this shit about it's a bad run of luck, I could have done so much if I had my shot, the boomers took it away, whatever namby-pamby bullshit friggin' excuse you come up with to explain why the person that's successful is not better than you, you will be unable to do the work necessary to make your future self better than your current self. And I know sometimes when you hear people talk like this, you're like, they all say the same thing. That's because it works. That's because it's the only way. There's a thousand paths in this mindset that lead to success. There's a thousand niches to be exploited. There's a thousand industries to be exploited. There's a thousand mechanisms that can be used. But the mindset of I have to make myself better know where I am, know where I'm going, engage my progress, and decide that I'm willing to be uncomfortable and do the work to make sure, to be sure that my future self will be better than my current self. That's it. I'm sorry, Skippy. You don't get another option. It's like a multiple choice test, and there is no all of the above. It's only one. That's it. And I'll tell you how you know that. Because go find a self-made successful person. And there's a term that I didn't even know that's really popular with Gen Z. 
and it's it's said as a pejorative. Bootstrap boomers. They're the ones that say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And it was so easy for them. Blah, blah. No, it wasn't. Let me tell you something. Being a boomer meant that you were a young adult coming of age, trying to raise a family and pay your bills in what decade primarily? The 1970s. Stagflation. A recession way worse than anything you young guys have gone through. It was a freaking nightmare. It was awful. People thought America was done in the 70s. And when it was as bad as you thought it could get, it got worse. You're crying about a 6 or 7% mortgage interest rate. How about 18%? Go look at the prices and understand how inflation works. And you realize, yes, things were cheaper. But if you didn't have the money, it didn't matter. Being a coming-of-age boomer in the 1970s was not easy. And yet many of them bootstrapped themselves. But I can go show you people right now that are in their 20s that are millionaires because they're better than you. And I don't mean kids that were born with a trust fund. I mean kids that went to hell with this, life's too short, I'm going to make something happen, and made their first million by 25. 35 is really impressive still, isn't it? They did it. Why not you? One more time. Hard to hear. They are better than you. Because they made themselves better than they were. There are people I'll talk to, especially when I'm being interviewed. And when I'm specifically not being interviewed about survivalism or permaculture, I'm interviewed about podcasting. And they'll say, man, I listen to you. I've listened to you enough to know that sometimes you wake up in the morning, you don't even know what you're going to talk about. You put a show together that day, and it sounds like 10 people worked on it. How do you do that? And my entire response is if you do anything every day for 15 years, you get good at it. What's funny then is people claim they want to do a thing, and they spend all their time not doing the thing that they could be getting better at. Don't let that be you. Yes, the person who's a self-made millionaire by 25 is better than you, but they chose to be. And you can choose to be better tomorrow than you are today. And what I want to finish with is it sounds simple. This is why the mind repels it. This is why people don't listen. I, you know, sometimes I, 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 I you know, poke at Zig Ziglar's stuff a little bit. I actually think he was a great motivational speaker. You know, and like I said, when I was driving around in my car in the 90s and turning it into a, a, a university for myself, like motor car university and learning business. for One of the people I listened to, there weren't exactly a lot of choices when I didn't have a lot of money. And my place for audiobooks was half price books. And I would listen to them over and over and over again. And people or Anthony Robbins or any of these people, they just, well, they all say the same thing again because it works. And it is incredibly Simple, not easy, not easy. Just like you can be comfortable but not happy, a thing can be simple but not easy. Getting up an hour earlier every day and working out for 30 minutes, taking a shower a little bit earlier and reading a book for 20 minutes before you leave the house is simple. 
And it, when you say it's not easy, people say, well, it kind of is. No, it's not. When the alarm clock goes, eh, 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 it's not easy, is it? At that point, what's easy? Click and snooze and click and snooze and click and snooze and get up when you normally were going to get up and say, I'll do it tomorrow. That's easy. And then tomorrow, just not setting the alarm early and go, that was a failed experiment. That's easy. But isn't the first one simple? Stop eating food that is ruining your body and your health and your mind. Simple. Until there it is. It looks really good. And I'm unhappy. I'm not quite happy right now. And I would get a dopamine hit from that. Not easy, but simple. I mean, do you know how to do it? Do you know how to not eat garbage? Can you physically manage the incredibly intense skill set? Of course you can. Of course you can. It can be anything. It can be anything. You want to work out. You don't like weights or whatever. Get up in the morning 45 minutes earlier. Take a 30-minute walk. Do it a bit strenuously. Find a place with hills. Walk at a higher rate of speed. Put some weight on your, whatever it is, right? Is there anything about that that you cannot do? No. But it's easier not to. So when I tell you, find your fears, it's simple. I'm acknowledging it's not easy. When I tell you to not be afraid that someone will criticize your attempts, incredibly simple, not easy. Fear, again, is wired into our brain for a reason. I tell my grandkids all the time when they worry about being embarrassed or in public, like, do, do, do you know any of these people? If you saw them tomorrow, would you recognize them? Do you think they'll recognize you? Do, they, do you think they know who they, you are? But they're looking. I don't care. You shouldn't either. I'm, my philosophy has always been if somebody criticizes my looks, if you don't like me, don't look it. I don't have any time for your shit. I'm too busy doing my own thing here. Very simple. But if you're the person that struggles with that particular component of this, I understand it's not easy. I'm telling you bluntly. Like a tough grandfather. Do it anyway. It doesn't matter that it's not easy. If it's simple then by the very definition, it's something you can do. And if you can do a thing that benefits you, do it. Do it. And if you're not sure what to do, do something. As long as it's not really dumb, do something. Another thing I've been asked when I have these interviews like this that are more about business principles and, and, and what have you, What's your number one secret to success? First of all, it's not a secret. There's no, none of this stuff's a secret. Secret in this world is a marketing term to say, if you buy my book, I'll tell you the secret. Or my course, I'll tell you. There's none of this is a secret. Everybody does say the same thing. But the number one thing that I've done for myself to build success is when I got to any point, and I don't care if it's when I was running an underground cruise for telecommunications. I don't care if it was in, when I was in the Army, right? Whenever I got to a place where I didn't know what to do, I looked at it and said, well, what, what, what can be done? What are all the things that can be done? 
And in the end, if there was no one else to tell me which one to do, I picked one and I did something. That's the, that's, that's it. That's the reason I'm sitting here at what? Three o'clock in the afternoon working out of a bedroom that I've been working out of for 10 years. And when I'm done with this, I'm going to go swim in my pool with my grandkids. That's why. That's the number one reason why. Because when I got to a place where I had to make a decision, instead of doing nothing, I did something. And when it was wrong, I owned it. I went backwards as quick as I could, picked another one of those options, which I already knew what the other options were. Because I already gamed them out and took the next most likely to succeed one and tried that. You know what you call that? Leadership. You're never going to follow somebody that when you get in the shit goes, I don't know what we should do next. You know what happens when you have a group of people and the person that's supposed to be in charge behaves that way? The person who is an innate leader who refuses to sit there and die because this guy can't make a choice, pushes them out of the way and takes command. In anything from a freaking fast food restaurant to a firefight, that leader emerges in that instant and says, I shall act. All I'm saying is there's only one real leader that makes decisions in your life, and it's you. Even when you fall in behind someone else that's leading and doing so effectively, you chose to do it. Because the world's full of people that were leading and turned around and everybody was gone because like this, this bitch doesn't know where he's going. Done with him. Can't make a decision. You cannot behave that way in your own life because there isn't anyone to step up and assume the role. There isn't anyone. There's only one commander. It's you. So, act, be, do. Accept that it's simple, but not easy. Get your ass uncomfortable. Change your life for the better. And blow a fucking huge hole in whatever wall of can't is holding you back. With that, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, and you want to help support us, remember one of the things that you can do to do that is become a member of the MSB. If you've never done that before, it's 50 bucks a year to support content like this. Then use the discounts, get your money back, and it doesn't cost you anything to support our show. And you get all the stuff we bring you, everything from motivational content like this to how to build great soil like we talked about last week and all the rewinds we had to how to de-Google your phone tomorrow. You get all the content still for free because I built a program that gives you your money back. That's a pretty good business model if you're looking for one to emulate, by the way. Uh, next up today, remember, you can also do your online shopping at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Today's item of the day is the UTG Ranger Field Bag. I've been recommending this bag for so long. I was recommending it before I had the T-Spaz thing going on with affiliates. Uh, it's just that good a bag. I've used this thing in my life for a very long time. It's so big, you put a small person in it. If you squish them up, you can put a full-size adult in this thing. I'm pretty sure I don't think they'd be very comfortable, and I'm not recommending it for that use. I'm just giving you the scale of it. You can wear it like a backpack. It's extremely tough and rugged. It's not akin to what John at SOE builds. It's not that rugged, but it is tough. 
And what I learned about it when I started going down to a place down here, an airsoft place, to get my CO2 tanks filled up, because, by the way, if you're a home brewer and you have a keg system, CO2 tanks, just take them to the airsoft place and get it filled up super cheap and fast. Um, I noticed a kid carrying this bag, and I said something to the guy that was filling my tank up. He goes, oh, they all have that bag. And because it's big and rugged, and these are guys that game every two, you know, two twice or two or three times a week, and it, the gear gets beat up. And it's the best value in a big bag. This is a do-anything field bag, and it's really awesome. And I brought it around today because it's on sale for 50 bucks. So this bag that's normally like 80 bucks is 50 bucks today. So check it out. And again, we've been uh, we've been recommending this for so long. It predates T-Spaz. And remember, you can always help us out by doing your online shopping, starting at tspaz.com, no matter what you buy. But anything you do buy that I recommend there, I own it. I spent my money on it, and I'd do it again, or I wouldn't recommend it to you. With that, I'm going to wrap up today. Guys, I really hope you take what I said to heart today. This was one of these things, again, when the, the term wall of can't came up on that show with John and Nicole, it grabbed me. It grabbed me, and I couldn't wait to do this. And the reason this is my favorite type of show to do is inevitably, six months from now, somebody's going to email me and tell me about a success in their life because of this show. My question is, will it be you? And with that, I have one question today. Builder of Castles, what do you do if no one is doing this yet except people who are obviously government shills and honeypots? I don't know what it is that you think you can do that no one else is doing yet. But find something close and follow the process. The process is the thing. It's like saying, but I have to build my fire with hickory and Jack is building his fire with oak. The process is the same. So either look harder or find an analog. Because the business process is very simple, not easy. It's very simple. So one thing to be mindful of, though, if you are looking to do something and really no one else is doing it, unless you're inventing a technology that doesn't exist, because that can be incredibly beneficial, kind and incredibly lucrative and somebody has to invent the next thing but unless that i'm doing it you know i'm not sure in your case and i don't know how it works in with government shills or whatever but just make sure of this but nobody else is doing it so i can't fault that you're not using that as an excuse to shy away from blowing a hole in the wall of camp and kelly says Ask yourself why nobody else is doing it, and it will lead you to one of two conclusions. It's not a good way to earn a living, or the ways of doing it are problematic, and that will lead you to how do I solve that problem? And then that way you can either move on with getting it the F done instead of sitting around mentally jacking off about doing it someday, or you can accept that this really is not the good thing to do, and you can go find something else to do. Because in the end, you either do the thing or you don't do the thing. But if you sit there indecisively looking at the thing, you might not realize there's a hundred other things you could be doing. So get on it. Will it be you? Person that asked that question, will you be the one telling me in six months? Or are you going to let somebody else do it and show you up? 
with that, guys, I'll catch you guys tomorrow. And again, we'll be talking about cell phone tech, running your own uh, de-Googled phone, using open source operating systems, staying safe and secure, and avoiding having your data collected and being spied on. That's what we'll be talking about tomorrow. It'll be a good one. Take care, guys. I'll catch you tomorrow. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. Dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.